This morning we're going to look at a psalm that David wrote at a time where he was falsely accused. And this psalm teaches us how David responded, and it points us to how Jesus responded when he was falsely accused. And so it teaches how we who are in Christ should respond. Psalm 7. A shigayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. O Lord my God, and you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let them trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, And on his own skull, his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It can be very painful and frustrating to be accused of something that you didn't do. For lies to be spread around about you that aren't true. And so what do we do in these moments? How do we respond? Should we give our accusers a a taste of their own medicine? No, because that brings us down to their level. Do we go on a campaign and declare our innocence publicly? Well, sometimes that just fans the flame. And then people start to assume where there's smoke, there must be a fire. So what do we do? What should we do? Sometimes there's nothing you can do to prove your innocence. And so there's only one thing to do. And that is to take your problem to the Lord. 
This is what we see David do in this psalm. If you look at the title, we actually get some helpful information on what's going on in David's life. It says, Shigayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. We don't know for sure what that word Shigayon really means. Uh, it could refer to some sort of melody, maybe a, a somber minor key melody. But what we do know from this title is that a man named Cush has falsely accused David. Seems like this guy has gone behind his back, trash-talked him, and, and people were now questioning David's integrity. And Cush was from the tribe of Benjamin, which was also the tribe of Saul, the guy who was king before David. Saul was very jealous of David and tried to kill him a couple times. And so being loyal to Saul, the tribe of Benjamin held a grudge against David for a very long time. And so it's not surprising that this Cush guy, who was called a Benjaminite, would want to slander David. And then from verses 3 and 4, we see that David has been accused of doing evil to a friend or someone he had no reason to consider an enemy. He was also accused of robbing an enemy for no reason. But David was innocent. He didn't do these things. And so what does he do in this situation? Well, the title tells us that he sang this psalm as a prayer to God. He sang these words to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on the Psalms, says that the title of this psalm should be the song of the slandered saint. The song of the slandered saint. And this song can be for any of you who are in Christ and you've been falsely accused of something that you didn't do. Here are words that God has given you in his word to sing and to pray. David sang them. And also Jesus sang them, and so should you. For my note takers out there, I've divided this psalm into four sections of what David does with the lies that he was accused of. David, number one, cries for deliverance in verses one and two. Two, David claims his innocence in verses three to five. Three, David calls for judgment in verses 6 to 16. And then 4, David closes with worship. So David cries for deliverance. He claims his innocence. He calls for judgment. And then he closes with worship. And the main point, what I hope you leave here this morning is this. The slandered saint seeks refuge in God, examines his heart, and relies on God's judgment. The slandered saint seeks refuge in God, examines his heart, and relies on God's judgment. All right, so in the face of all these accusations, David doesn't try to take matters into his own hands. He seeks refuge in God. He goes to the Lord and he cries for deliverance. 
Rather than trying to do a little PR campaign to prove his innocence, David's first response is to go to the Lord. Look at verse one. O Lord, my God, and you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Hopefully you all are starting to see a trend in the Psalms that we've been studying. When problems come, when, when life gets difficult, our first response should be to go to the Lord. But unfortunately, we often go to other people. We go to our friends or we go to our vices that only give us temporary relief. But the Christian's first resort should be seeking refuge and deliverance from the one who can actually do something about the situation. David knew that. David runs to God like we run to the basement when the tornado sirens start going off and you get that emergency alert on your phone like we all did this past week. David's refuge is God. God is David's safe place. David knew that God alone had the ability to protect and save him. And so he says, save me from all my pursuers. Possibly David was on the run and his enemies were coming to kill him. Verse two gives us this horrifying picture of what will happen to David if his enemies catch him. He says, Lord, deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. Spurgeon comments on, on this and says that David probably brings up this imagery of a lion attacking because before he was a king, he was a shepherd. And he remembered what it looked like when a lion attacked a defenseless lamb. The lion would tear it to pieces and devour it all because the shepherd was not near him. David was in real danger. People were trying to kill him, probably because of the lies that this guy Cush was spreading. And he knew that God was the only one who could save him from those who were coming after him. David took refuge in God, but he also did what he needed to do to get out of harm's way, right? Taking refuge doesn't mean that we don't do anything. The text says that David's enemies were pursuing him, which implies that he was running away. He did what he could do to escape, but ultimately he trusted in God to save him. And so if we are in danger, we should take action to protect ourselves. But ultimately, our hope should be in the Lord. See, when God is not your refuge, anxiety will eat you up and you will be tempted to overreact. When God is not your refuge, you might attack someone who lies about you. You might attack them physically or verbally. You might gossip about that person, which is sin. You might destroy something that they love just to get payback. If God is not your refuge, you will take matters into your own hands and sin. But if God is your refuge, you will trust that God is in control and that he's working for your good. And you will have the ability to exercise self-control and have a godly response even when people lie about you. 
David took refuge in God. Psalm 2 ends with the promise, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 5 verse 11 says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt you. Those who take refuge in God find blessing and joy in his loving protection. And Jesus did the same. What did Jesus do? He stood in silence before his accusers because he had taken his troubles to his father in prayer. David cries for deliverance. And then in verses three to five, he claims his innocence. Examining his own heart, David prayed, oh Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Before David even gets to the point of asking the Lord to go after his enemies, David says, Lord, look at my life. This is a step that we often skip. Three times David says that word, if. If I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, he says, Lord, look at my life, search me. If I have done these things, if I have done evil towards someone who is at peace with me, if I've robbed my enemy without cause, if I've sinned against them, then let them take their vengeance out on me. Let them succeed in their personal attack. Let my glory and honor be taken from me. Let them kill me. David's pretty sure that he's innocent here. He claims innocence. This doesn't mean that he was sinless, only that he was innocent of what he was being accused of. H.C. Leupold says this, only the man who is sure of his innocence in the sight of God would venture to call for such doom upon himself. Only a person who really knows he's innocent will pray this type of prayer. God, let my enemies destroy me if I have done something wrong. Talk about a clear conscience that David has. And so when we are accused of something, we should check and see if our conscience is really clear. We should ask God for clarity to see our own role in the situation. Because sometimes what we feel like is a false accusation is actually true. Sometimes we can trick people into thinking that we are the victim. We know how to make our friends side with us, even at times when we're guilty. We're kind of like that athlete who gives that cheap shot and then acts all innocent when the flag is thrown. You can fool other people, but you can't fool God. He knows our hearts. We need to be humble and honest enough to face the truth, even when it hurts. 
But sometimes we are innocent. And if we are, we're in good company. David didn't do what his accusers said he did. And neither did Jesus. Jesus understands every false accusation that was laid against his followers. He doesn't just know about it in theory, but he experienced it. He knows what it feels like to be completely innocent and yet slandered. Because David is innocent, he then calls on God to bring judgment. David cried out to the Lord to deliver him. He claimed his innocence before God, and then he tells God to wake up. Did you see that? In verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. When someone lies about you and, and seems to be getting away with it, it may seem that God is sleeping. But the Bible teaches us that God never has to wake up because he never goes to sleep. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It may have seemed like God wasn't doing anything about David's enemies. And so David asked the Lord, Act, bring justice, Lord. He knows that God is the judge of all of the world. And he is asking the Lord to come as judge. He says in verse 7, Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. Here David gives this picture of the nations gathered around God as he comes in judgment. Seems like David is talking about the final judgment here. He continues in verse 8, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Now here we may have to take a step back and go, wait, what? What did he just say? Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness? Yikes. We know that David's a sinner, just like the rest of us. And since God is the one who tests the minds and the hearts of men, how could David face God's great final judgment with such confidence? Well, righteousness in the Old Testament didn't mean that someone worked hard enough in order to, to gain a reward. Now, the righteous in the Old Testament were those who received God's covenant promises of forgiveness and mercy and wanted to live according to God's word. And I believe David in this section is pointing forward. David knows that as the divinely appointed king, the blessing of the people were going to come through his family line. And so in this section, David is pointing to the Messiah. He's pointing to the blessed man that we see in Psalm 1, the true king in Psalm 2, the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. No one faced more false accusations and injustice than Jesus. Jesus came to this earth and he healed the lame, the deaf, and the blind, and yet the Pharisees accused him of having a demon. 
He was accused by false witnesses at his trial. He was hated and then put to death. The most unfair and unjust act in the history of the world. But Jesus handled all this by trusting God to judge, just like David did. The apostle Peter describes Jesus's response in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, the son of David, was sinless, and yet he entrusted himself to God's judgment. David was not guilty of the crime that he was accused of by Cush, but David was a sinner. And so of all the men who ever lived, Jesus could sing this psalm with the most confidence and ask God to judge him according to his righteousness and integrity. Jesus was not only righteous and sinless for his own sake, but he obeyed God and endured the false accusations and went to the cross for us to become our savior. Again, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so if you belong to Jesus, then you can face God's judgment with confidence. Christ has taken our sin upon himself and given us his righteousness. You don't need to fear the great and final judgment that is coming on the world. David calls on God to bring judgment on his enemies, to bring justice, to establish the righteous and bring the wicked to an end. And then David restates in verse 10 what we see him say in, in Psalm 3, verse 3, that the Lord is his shield, meaning that God is his protection. He says, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. To have an upright heart is to repent of sin and to take refuge in God. And then he says in verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. It says here that God feels indignation every day. He is angry with the wicked every day. It seems like David goes from talking about final judgment to how God judges today. God doesn't hold all his judgment for the final day. He actually brings justice and punishment today too. David draws this picture of God as this mighty warrior and gives a warning to those who don't repent. He says, if a man does not repent, God wets his sword. That means he's sharpening it. He has strung up his bow and it's already bent. 
He has prepared deadly weapons that he will use to kill his enemies. And he uses arrows that are flaming and on fire. The point being made here is that the unrepentant sinner will not escape God's judgment. They must either flee from their sin and seek God's mercy or face the wrath of God. From many pulpits today, all you're going to get is God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. And that's absolutely true. But what is equally true is the fact that he is a God who is just, a God who is righteous, a holy God who feels indignation every day. He is angry with wicked and sinful people, and he will punish them if they won't repent. Judgment is coming for unrepentant sinners, and judgment sometimes happens now. David continues in verse 14, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and brings birth to lies. David's enemy is pictured as a pregnant woman who first conceives evil. And because that evil is, is filling him up on the inside, eventually he comes pregnant with trouble and then gives birth to lies. Seems like he's talking about Cush here. The fact that David used that word lies, he must refer to the lies that were being spoken about him. And then in verse 15 and 16, say, he makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull violence descends. Sin does not produce the desired and intended results that we want. It's like a man who dug a pit and hollowed it out, and then fell right in it. And then all his trouble comes right back on his head. God has arranged things so that evil eventually will bring judgment upon itself. In Romans 1, we see that God's wrath has been revealed to mankind by God giving up mankind to their sin and their wickedness. We do not have to wait for the final judgment to know that God punishes sin. We know this from just everyday life. The one who hates eventually becomes consumed with bitterness. The lustful acts out on a lust, and then they're disappointed. The liar hopes that that lie will make their life better, but they end up in a spider web of lies, and then no one trusts them for the rest of their lives. The one who makes a false accusation destroys their own integrity and reputation. The wicked are defeated by their own wickedness. If you sow evil, then your evil will return as punishment. And so whether in this life or on that day when evil is judged once and for all, God will justly act against sin. And so if you don't know God... I urge you to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. That is your only hope. 
First John chapter one, verse 19, we read it earlier. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the good news for you this morning. If you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You will no longer be an enemy of God. You will become a son of God who is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you have not believed in Jesus, I urge you to repent of your sin. God has wet his sword and readied his bow. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God judges today, but he also saves and he rescues. And for those who believe in Jesus, God's judgment today should be a comfort for us. It means that God is truly a shield for those who know him. He will defend you and protect you and save you. This song opened with a plea to God, a cry for deliverance, and it ends with praise. David closes this psalm with worship. And think about it, just like the previous psalms we've studied, nothing has changed in David's situation. Cush is still talking behind his back and spreading lies. Those enemies of David are still pursuing him, but David has changed. As he sought refuge in God and examined his heart and called out God to judge, he also praised God for who he is. Look at verse 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. David rejoices because the covenant Lord will judge the world in righteousness, and he will vindicate David. The righteousness of God is a theme that the people of God should continually celebrate. It gives us confidence that in his time and in his way, that God, the judge of the whole earth, will do what is just. We will sing praise to the name of the Lord the most high, the sovereign God who is in control over everything. And so in conclusion, we will be unfairly criticized and attacked by others for living the Christian life. What should we do in these moments? How should we respond? We should use Psalm 7 to shape our prayers and to shape our actions. We should run to God, our only safe refuge. He alone can deliver us from our enemies. When we are accused, we need to examine our own hearts to see if what is being said about us is true. And if it is, then we must repent and seek restoration with those who have pointed it out. But if we are innocent... We need to leave that situation up with the Lord. He is the righteous judge who will bring justice on our behalf. Christians do not retaliate against their enemies. We leave wrath with the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In fact, Jesus teaches us to pray for our enemies. We need to pray for their repentance, pray for their salvation. And we should follow the example of Jesus, who faced many false accusations all throughout his earthly ministry, who had false witnesses at his trial, who called out to his father for just judgment, yet knowing he himself would face the wrath that we all deserved. And ultimately, he knew that he would be vindicated in his resurrection. And he is the one who will come at the end to judge. God is the Christian's refuge, shield, and savior. He is worthy to be praised. David sang this psalm in anticipation in the midst of his pain. Jesus sang this psalm as he endured the false accusations, confident that he would be raised from the dead and seen as the righteous one. And we too, in Christ, can sing this psalm when we are falsely accused and lied about. We can be confident that because in Jesus, our righteousness is secure and our vindication is sure. The slandered saint seeks refuge in God, examines his heart, and relies on God's judgment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for psalms like this that speak to the human condition. And maybe for some of us, it speaks to our current situation. We have been lied about, and it's been eating us up. Help us to see from this psalm that, Lord, you are the one who will bring justice in your timing. We praise you for your righteousness. Help us to run to you for refuge when we find ourselves unjustly slandered and accused, to examine our hearts to see if we are in the wrong, if we have sinned. And Lord, if we are innocent, help us to trust in your protection and justice. Help us to pray for our enemies, to pray for their repentance and their salvation. Thank you for being our refuge and shield and savior. We thank you for Jesus who knows our pain and is able to sympathize with our weakness and who has made us righteous in him. Help us like him to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Bless us, Lord, and keep us in your grace. 